Well, glory to God. Um, I wanted to, um, to get into this this morning. The Lord's given me several things to share with the church, but I'll start in prayer. Father, thank you so much, Lord. I thank you for this subject today. I thank you that as the people listen, Lord God, something will, uh, of life, the life of God will emanate in their spirits, Lord, and this will be a, a changer for them, Father, and that revelation will come. And I thank you, Lord God. Thank you for this uh, topic, Lord. It's called the Chosen Fast. And so, Lord, as we enter in now, Lord, I thank you that you're with us and that you say it the way that you desire, Lord, and I can get out of the way. And uh, we desire to hear from you, Lord. We desire it to be said the way you want it said. And Lord, any revelation or inspiration by the Spirit, Lord, we welcome. We always welcome your gifts, Lord. But just let me say it and make it clear, Holy Spirit, we welcome the gifts, the utterances, the flowings of your Spirit. And uh, we never want to be in a rush. We want to be sensitive so that we pick them up and cooperate with them. And Lord, we just want to be so unaware of who we are. Just forget about us, but just plugged in so that you can use us the way that you desire. That's the kind of people we want to be, Lord, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen and amen. You know, I was thinking this morning, um, it came up in my heart that when Moses turned aside to see the bush... Um, it was God that told him to take off his shoes. And so I'm so ever aware, as I think you are as well, when we're beginning a journey of being more spiritual and drawing to the Lord, we don't have the first clue what to do. And I think anyone that thinks they do is probably arrogant. Um, surrender is what God requires in obedience. That's what he requires. But if you read that excerpt in Exodus 3, he told Moses, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And uh, going into this fast, some of us uh, have had to do things we didn't even know to do or we felt promptings by the Spirit. We can rest in that. We can rest that the Holy Ghost will lead us into a holier lifestyle. He will lead us into being spiritual and not the fake version. And we'll talk about the fake version today a little bit from Isaiah 58 because the Lord is upbraiding Israel. He's rebuking them because their fast is not genuine. Their fast is one of works and debate and quarrel, and it's disgusting to God. And uh, this, this message didn't come to me in the sense that I felt the Lord was rebuking the congregation. It wasn't that. It, it's not like he's equating um, this congregation with the Israelites that weren't doing the fast properly, but it's to draw out the bondages and the things that the, the fast is supposed to break. And, you know, when you get it in writing by the Holy Spirit, that means you can hang on to it. That means it's uh, ironclad and it's covenant. And I think a lot of us need to get our eyes back on the covenant that promises such an amazing measure of freedom. And I think um, there's lots of things in this season and going forward that the Lord really, he wants to break yokes. He wants to break bondages, but he talks about the reality of what his fast causes. And hey, we've got amazing ground to stand on because we're in a holy fast Amen. that's chosen by the Lord and been called and dated and ends. Uh, you know, Craig was telling me, I'll let him tell you more in the time to come. Uh, but he was telling me how even the dates that were picked, he didn't realize it at the time, but the Lord showed him how supernatural they were, how significant they were. And of course, the Lord was behind it, orchestrating it the whole time. And let me say this before I forget, and I'll get back to the message. Uh, God showed my husband something so precious, and he wanted me to share it with you. You know, when Jesus was on the colt and he was entering 
into Jerusalem and they were laying the, the palm trees down at his feet and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to, to the Lord of the highest. And they were recognizing who he was and they were giving him praise. And the Lord showed him um, very supernaturally how the prayers of this congregation, he sees them as the palm trees that are being laid down at the feet for Jesus to walk in and perform what he wants to do in this time. So the Lord knows you're praying because he's talking about you and he says those prayers are so precious. They're like a Hosanna going up to him because he wants to accomplish a heavenly plan in the earth and he sees you. And even if sometimes it might feel like you're not being seen or heard, the Lord sees everything that you're doing and it's very holy unto him. So before I get into Isaiah 58, um, the Lord had me go to another uh, scripture, uh, and, and I'll, I'll read it. It's Matthew 21, verse 12. And this is what he said to me in my spirit before he took me there. He said, our temples need cleansing. Yeah. They need cleansing, whether we realize it or not. You know, the, the men and women of old that had the spirit of revival come upon them with weepings and groanings and repentance, they came to understand that our temples needed cleansing on a spiritual level. On a mental level, we agree with this. We know that our temples need cleansing. We know that, we don't argue that. But that's not the same as your spirit picking it up so much that you weep before the Lord and, you, and re, an act and a work of repentance comes that causes God to be able to truly cleanse you so that you're freed up from uh, filth bondage. Listen, filth is not always, we think filth, we think pornography addiction, we think things like that. Filth is worry. Filth is taking on the cares of the family. Filth is uh, fainting and weariness in the assignments of God. That's filth. It is. Now God is so merciful to us, but he wants to cleanse us so that we are strong in the Lord. I mean, really strong from the inside out. And so he took me to Matthew 21 verse 12, and I'll give you the backstory. The backstory to Matthew 21, of course we read about it in Mark 11, and we're so thrilled about Mark 11, 23 and 24, about speaking to the mountain. And Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's cursed the fig tree and it's died. And he's sharing with them who they are in the sense of their dominion, that whoever believes in their heart and speaks, that mountain would have to be removed. And they've never heard anything like this. This is, this is a revelation for certain and for sure. But right after that, Following that event, he, uh, Jesus goes into the temple and does something that I think has stumped many in the Christian world because they don't relate this action as what they would think of as behavior that Jesus would engage in, and yet it's holy and it's right. And so Matthew 21, 12 says this, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And what the Lord said to me is this. He said, this is a type and shadow. He said, because it's still the Old Testament. He said, there's the reality that is that you take at face value. There was very grievous 
what they were doing in the temple because they were overcharging the people in a time when people were getting ready to sacrifice at the feasts and they were they were um, ripping the people off for lack of a better way to say it and it was thievery going on and and mer merchandising in a holy tabernacle and God was not pleased with it but the Lord said this to me he said I talked to them about faith I talked to them about dominion he said but the next action that you see which is a type and shadow he said I go into the temple and he said I cleanse it and he said, now I have to go into your temple. I live there, he said, but there must come an act, he said, of cleansing that temple. He said, I have to cleanse it. He said, I have to throw out things that have made their home in that temple. And he said, there are things that make their home in the, in the temple, in the, in the spirits, in the bodies of my believers. And he said, I don't want those things there. He said, because what they do is they pollute a sanctified place. And he said, it takes me in my glory and in my presence to go in and to upset and to overturn things that really look like the norm. Do you notice that they were able to do this for a long time? The Pharisees were around, the religious people around, the Jews were around. No one was uh, blustering and trying to throw out the money changers. No one was throwing over the tables. It took Jesus to go in to set it back to a proper place where these, um, where these, this selling activity, this uh, merchandising, this uh, greed—it was outright greed. This thievery, because he calls it a den of thieves, was taking place. And Jesus went in and he threw, and in a violent act. He, he thrust it out with no apologies. And so he said to me, I want to move in such a way that there's a violent throwing out of things yeah. from the temples of my people. He said, where there, it's, when it's done, it's cleansed. He said, but do you notice, he said in the scripture, it says that it was after this was done that the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. He said, now my desire is that when I do that cleansing in you, that the blind and the lame or anything that is, that can't see anything that is infirm, anything that is not right. When it comes to you, because that temple is clean, you will bring healing. You will bring wholeness because of the purity in you that flows out of you, because I live in your spirit and I've cleansed that temple so much that there's no hindrance to my move. And so I, that was profound for me. I have not heard that preach. I'm sure many have preached it because the Spirit says the same things to many of us. But it just really touched my heart because I could see this picture and this parallel of how our temples need to be cleansed. And did you notice that Jesus is dealing with uh, this God of money? This is a God of money. And in the scriptures, what does he say? You cannot serve God and mammon. You can have God. You can have money. But you can't serve them both. And I don't think we've, we, we need to stop and look at that. They're almost strange words. You almost wonder why Jesus would say that because we think of things. But what is Jesus? He's a master at pinpointing, I would say, the, the, the highest force that rules this earth. And what rules this earth is money, is buying, is selling. What rules this, is, is, this earth is what we can get. It takes care of our needs. The greed in the hearts of men rules this. We're what we see even right now. And I don't want to be political, but even what's happening behind the scenes, you can see that the God of mammon just rearing its ugly head in the upper echelons of society. And there's things that are being put into place. They're going to usher in this antichrist that's coming.
And so we know the virus is real. I don't mean that. I don't, we know it's real and that people are hurting, but there are other factors that are taking place behind the scenes. And, and this God of mammon, has God and the spirit of God and serving him cannot serve also the God of mammon. The God of mammon dictates in a way that is from hell and God himself won't have, he will not share his glory with anyone that worships money or worships what money can bring or is proud and arrogant in that system. He will not allow it. We have to be submitted to him and allow him to do what he desires to do. And we cannot in any way be yielded to the God of mammon. And so um, he started me off with that by saying our, our temples need cleansing. Our temples need cleansing, let me tell you. Where we think we are today is not where God's going to take us for the future. Uh, it, what marks revivals, what marks God coming on the scene is people falling on their face before God, weeping, weeping for themselves and the sin that now that they were willing to live with before now becoming blatantly apparent that it is foul and it is vile in the eyes of God. And what happens is when the glory shows up, it becomes vile to you. What you are willing to live with now becomes something that you thrust out because you cannot bear it. You so long to be pure and holy before the Lord because you're in his presence in such a way, it's with such tangibility that you cannot bear it and you must thrust it far from you and get as low as you can before the Lord. And then, of course, what is birthed out of that is uh, repentance on behalf of others that are not repenting, that are not in that glory cloud, that are not in that atmosphere, but that are abroad, that are out there, lost in darkness. And God, of course, starts with his people because we're being, we're being made willing. We're being made willing. Whether we understand all the way that it feels or, or how it feels to become spiritual, but we're willing because he's telling us, take your shoes off. But he's so faithful and so merciful that he'll tell us how to take the shoes off. He'll tell us how to draw near. He'll tell us and contend with us until we're worth, uh, we're worth something to the kingdom of God. We're always worth his, something to his heart but worth something in the kingdom of God for the work of the kingdom to be done with no hindrances. You understand that? We cannot work the works of God. We cannot. That is why, the, that is why it looks barren for us. That is why we're not seeing the power that you saw in the book of Acts. Because there's a work that has to be worked in us so that that work can flow. You know, when the disciples were filled with the Holy Ghost, they had spent seasons with Jesus and some of it, they failed. I mean, you can see God teaching them, rebuking them. Jesus upbraids them for lack of faith. He, he, he's always engaging. I guess if you think about it, that was their contending with Jesus. He's, he's pulling on them. He's trying to pull them higher. He's rebuking them. He's with them. They're seeing heaven at work. And then, of course, they have the failure of deserting him at the cross. But Jesus resurrects and goes to them for 40 days and he lights that candle within them, of course, breathes on them by the Holy Spirit and they're born again. So as you can see, Jesus didn't stay with the disciples because they were so amazingly perfect. But what they lacked in, in their falling around and their stumbling, and they were so grieved at their own actions, they felt so keenly their own humanity. What saved them was the fact that they really loved him. They really loved him. They didn't depart. Peter wept bitterly when he realized, wept bitterly when he realized what he had done. And then Jesus asked them the question, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. 
you know, and, and there's, a, there's a healing and something that takes place there because God, if we don't leave him and we want him and we love him, he will stay with us and he'll preach to us and he'll breathe the Holy Spirit. Uh, yes, we're born again, but he'll breathe the fire of the Holy Spirit on us till we come out and we look like the book of Acts to prison cells, both real, both the real ones, the physical ones and, and inner ones are shaken and opened up so that we can come out. And uh, Paul, you know, he's, he's put, thrust into prison. Peter was thrust into prison. God always has more in mind than just the face value, however deep it is. There's always more. And that is that when we get ourselves in a prison, whether it's someone else has placed it on us, uh, and, and I hear the Spirit of God say, there are bondages that have come to my people that are placed on their shoulders and upon them by other people. The bondages have come. Uh, so much pressure has come from the bondages of those they have in their life. And on different levels, those bondages have come. But my spirit sees that. And my spirit would desire to shake up that prison, to tear its bars asunder, so that you walk out of prisons that have even been placed around you and, and, and placed upon you by others in your life. And some of it has come because you care so much. And some of it has come by force. And some of it has come even by the strength of other personalities in your life. But the Lord desires to come and tear you out of those places because like it or not, those places are still prisons. And as you worship the Lord and as you seek the Lord, he will tear you from that place of prison. He will tear you from that prison house and he will cause you to have revelation. You'll come out rejoicing. You'll come out singing because you'll feel that those bondages have been removed from you. Hallelujah. And out of that will come so much fruit, so much fruit from that freedom flowing out of your spirit. Because it doesn't just come and set you free, although it will, it will come and set others free because there's knowledge in you now from the divine. There's knowledge in you from heaven that will come and set others free. Glory to God. Well, Father, I thank you for that word. Whoever's listening and that applies to you, and you know that it applies to you, let God, let God come and take away and break you out of something that was not even placed there by necessarily your own doing, but it's been placed upon you by circumstances that are around you. And so God will burst you out of that because he's so rich in mercy. He cares and he will. Uh, he will bring you out of that place. And so um, we, we need our temples cleansed. And so let's go to Isaiah 58 this morning. Um, and I'm just going to read until I get to the place where I feel the Spirit prompts me to, to teach from there. And so this is, this is, uh, this is God speaking to uh, Israel uh, through the prophet. Cry aloud, spare not. This is verse 1. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek, inquire for, and require me daily and delight externally to know my ways. So they look. They looked the part externally as if they were in reality. I'm reading from the Amplified. A nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God in visible ways. This type of person is interested in being seen. They want to look the part. Of course, wanting to look the part includes a tremendous amount of ungodly pride. That's always accompanied by pride. And, and they say, why have we fasted? They say, and you do not see it. So they bl they're blaming. They're accusing God. 
Why have we fasted? You do not see it. Why have we afflicted ourselves? So we're doing this and you take no knowledge of it. They're, they're upset with the Lord. And it says, behold, O Israel, on the day of your fast, this is God responding, when you should be grieving for your sins. What is that? It's another picture of repentance, true repentance. You find, now listen to this, you find profit in your business. This is the first thing God says. When you should be repenting and drawing aside and putting your head as it were underneath my hand, because you're so imperfect, you find profit in business. Now this says a lot to me. In business is something, human beings, we like to move. We don't want to be told to stand still. We don't want to be told to wait on God. We don't want to be told to not eat. We want to work. We want to, whatever we can see that's in our life, in the spheres of our life, we want to work it. It makes us feel useful. It makes us avoid the settling down of our spirit because the, the, the transition from flesh to spirit is a bumpy one. It is. It's a bumpy one. It's like uh, turbulence in the air. It's not once you've practiced it, then it's easy. But that, that first coming down out of the atmosphere to set yourself down in your spirit. Yeah. I guess that's the analogy of an airplane coming down out of the sky. There's turbulence. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to learn. You're going to have to learn how to drive yourself out of the natural into the spirit. And so he says, what do you do? Instead of stopping all work as the law implies you and your workmen should do, because God spelled it out. He made it very clear. You extort, which means you cheat, from your hired servants, a full amount of labor. God didn't desire that. He desired that the Sabbath be a day when the focus turned to him and you weren't constantly doing. And I'm going to say this. I know we've been set free from the rigors and the routine of the Old Testament, but the spirit of it remains the same. When God institutes a day of the week, it is not for you to tend to business, 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 and be running around, running around, running around, cleaning the home, doing what, and I know I'm the first one to say I'm guilty of that. Why? Because in the past I would feel, well, we're not under the old covenant. No, ceremonially we're not under the old covenant. But when the God of the universe says to a people that he's created, I want you to cease from all the work, and I want you to turn aside and make this day holy for me. Do you think that that has changed? That has not changed. No, it's not, uh, it's not law. It doesn't choke you that you can't pick up a pair of scissors and you, you, know, you can't cook a meal. It's not that. But he's saying here, your business continues on. And we've got six days of the week for our business to be dealt with. It is not for us to be dealing with our business on a day that we've set aside to look at the Lord and focus on him and let him do a work in us because we're not made to be working all the time. We're not. It's more than just physical rest. There's a rest that has to come to your soul and to your spirit. You need to rest because you need to to focus on the things of God on that other realm. And he says, the facts are that you fast only for strife which is um, translated for contest. Oh, what a terrible word when it comes to holy things. A contest, like you're winning a contest. So you're obviously, he's seeing that brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, they're doing a fast and their eyes are on somebody else and what they're doing for their fast and for them. I don't know if they tried to outfast each other or if one was fasting one meal or one certain portion of, of food and the other one is now fasting, observing what they're doing and trying to outdo them. That's the word right there that's used for strife. It's a contest. And let this be as far from us 
That is why the Holy Spirit has dealt with the congregation personally as to what they are to give up because God forbid we, forbid we ever have a contest. Let me tell you, I am not doing a 40-day fast. I do not, in the sense of a complete fast, I am fasting, but I'm not doing what my husband is doing. And I have checked my spirit so often to say, Lord, um, I, I, can't, I can't pick up flesh in this time. I can't pick it up because Craig is doing it. And of course, I don't feel that in my marriage. I really don't. I, I know maybe some people struggle with it. I don't struggle with that. I can struggle with other things. But I, I, I don't have that contest mentality. Um, but I have had to listen to God, and I've had no urgency for me to pick up a 40-day fast in the sense of complete fasting. He has uh, told me what my job was to do in terms of the arena prayer and how many meals to fast in the 40-day period. So I'm so grateful for that. But these people were not doing that. It says they were having like a contest. All of it was visual. How disgusting. They're making sure that everybody knows exactly what their fast consists of. And obviously, if you're in a contest, you're trying to do the most so that you can get the glory at the end of it, so that you can be seen a certain way. And God is calling them out on it and saying, you don't, you're not getting any reward because this is a contest to you. And obviously, when they're saying, we're doing all of this, we're afflicting ourselves. And we don't even hear from you, God. How brazen, how proud to put their face up to God when really God, is, God knows all and sees that the context of their fast is to have a contest, to look a certain part. And he says, and for debate, which means quarrel. So they're quarreling amongst themselves. Now, I have no idea what that looked like, but when God says quarrel, it means at least two people having words. That's a quarrel. There's words, there's strife, they're actually, none of this is private. It's seen, it's visual, it's out in the open, and they're quarreling over a holy fast. And God is calling them on it. And he says, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. That's a violent action. And if you see what smite means, it means to punish. Well, I have no idea what that fully means because I don't know Jewish customs probably as well as I should. But can you see this? There's contest, there's quarreling, and they're punishing one another with the words as the fist of wickedness. It's awful. Fasting as you do today will not cause your voice to be heard on high. This is what he says. When it looks like that, nothing you say and nothing you pray is going to be heard in heaven. And this is what he says. Is such, verse 5, is such a fast as yours that what I have chosen a day for a man to humble himself with sorrow in his soul? And then in brackets it says, is true fasting merely mechanical? I know you're only doing the mechanics. This is what God has said. And let me make this clear. God, when he brought this up in my spirit, because I asked him, he said, this, these first verses leading into this chapter, he said, they do, not, um, they do not apply to the congregation. He said, I've seen them. And he said I, that this is not a rebuke to them. And you need to know that. This is not the angle of this sermon. What he wants you to see is the next couple of verses where we're getting what the real fast, the chosen fast is set to do. And he said, I want you to talk about, I want you to teach them what they're to expect when they fast. Because when you read it and you don't meditate on it necessarily, he said, your expectations remain low. And he said, I want you to teach them what they're going to, what they should be expecting to see so that they will raise their standard and that they will go after it in times of fasting and prayer and not let go because he wants to work this in this congregation, in us individually and us corporately. Now continue to listen. He said, he said he's questioning them. 
He's letting them know this is not what it is, but of course it comes in a question. Is it only to bow down the head like a bulrush, which is like a long piece of grass, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him to indicate a condition of heart that he does not have? God knows. Will you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? He says, rather, here we go, is not this the fast that I've chosen? So instead of that, which I haven't done, the mechanics, the quarreling, the strife, the visibility, the debate, you arguing with me, you telling me that the fast doesn't mean anything because look at what you're doing and I haven't done anything apparently. This is what God is saying. He said, this, I'm going to show you what the real fast is. And we're fasting in this season. So this verse belongs to us. And when we get revelation that something belongs to us, our heart reaches out and grabs a hold of it. And there have been times in the past when I've been uh, studying faith because I find over time if I don't stay on the subject of faith personally between me and God, I'm letting certain things go. It's like, oh, I have to resharpen the blades of what faith is. Uh, and it comes very subtly because there's always something out here that I'm, I'm, I'm after. And, and even answers will come, but it's like sometimes you have to get back to the basics of uh, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And you have to plant there. It's like resharpening the blades so that you're, you're, re, you're sharpened so that you don't let go of things. And I remember I was believing for something with, with a family member and we were praying for something that to be quite honest, uh, in the flesh, didn't on the way, they're, they're not getting it. They're not, it was actually a position, a job that they were believing for. And they came out of that, I mean, there was like 40 people, no, 82, 82 people contending for the same position. Um, and uh, 82 people were contending for a job here in Toronto for the same position. And uh, when they came out of it, they said it was the worst interview they ever had, that they didn't have a chance of having it, that there's no way. And, I, and I, I rose up in my, it was my spirit that rose up and I said, no, I said, if God if God expects us to let us go, let it go, then he's going to have to tell us. So we prayed. We said, Lord, if, if this is not your will, fine. You got something better. But uh, you're going to have to tell us to let it go. Because when we pray the prayer of faith, it is harmful for us to let it go. You can't be in and out of faith all the time, letting stuff go. You'll get wishy-washy in your faith. There has to be something in you that learns how to be steadfast and serious about what you're asking God for. Now, if he changes something for you, hey, we go with him. We change, oh, you didn't want us to ask that. Oh, you didn't want us that way. Oh, you had something over here instead of over here. Then that's the navigation of the Holy Spirit, and we welcome that. But I, I in my spirit, mind's eyes sometimes to help me. It's just, I don't know why it helps me, it helps me. I will imagine my, my spirit, when I'm asking for something, like a hand, it looks like my hand, but I will ma imagine the hand of my spirit coming out of my belly and grabbing hold of it. And I'll say, now Lord, I've grabbed a hold of it today. And unless you tell me to let it go, because there's something I don't know about this, it's mine and I will not let go until you manifest it. And I will stay with it. I will stay with it. It doesn't matter because he's got to give further instruction in order. God gives the instruction, not the devil, not the circumstances. God gives me the instruction to let it go, in which case that's fine because I'm one with him and I'm okay. I'm good with the extra instruction that keeps me uh, flowing in the right direction instead of grabbing hold of something that perhaps I shouldn't have grabbed hold of in the first place. But with this, when I said this to the Lord, I said, I told this person, I feel by the hand of my spirit, we've grabbed a hold of that. Now that thing has to manifest. And I'm telling you, we watched 
a series of about two or three months go by. I mean, this, there's no way. There's just no way in the natural. The, the interview was so bad, they couldn't even answer the questions because it was, it, the questions were taken from a manual that had, you know, the hard questions and the easy questions. Well, this person had focused so much on the hard questions that they didn't really review, you know, the list of the simple things that they kind of knew but couldn't give a dignified, eloquent, answer for, even though they knew it in part, they had focused on things that, that were harder. And so, of course, they came across as looking like they didn't know. Well, lo and behold, the time came, and they were given that job, and we rejoiced. you got to see things through. You have to know that point of rejoicing, because God says, if you don't doubt in your heart, whatever you say will come to pass. Right. If you believe it, you keep saying it, it will come to pass. It has to. It's a spiritual law. And so, um, why was I saying that? I was saying all that for a reason. Yes, well, we want to, okay, this is what I, what I was saying about in learning about faith and sharpening those blades. Uh, you got to sharpen your blades on what he's saying about the fast because we're in something called a chosen fast. God chose this fast for this church. He chose it specifically for this church, for my husband, a certain set of behaviors have to occur. And for us that are listening, there's other behaviors um, that are occurring as well. And I know some people have entered into a 40-day complete fast with them. And other, others of us, like myself, we know our assignment's a little bit different, but we're going after it. And we're not letting this fall to the ground. So this applies to us. Our faith can be on this to bring this to pass so that we know what to expect for the future and that we get our heads up, stop looking down at the ground uh, and we can look up at him because what, what are we experiencing? What are we expecting? We're expecting to experience the supernatural power of God to do what we cannot do. And uh, we, will, we will shout and jump and dance and rightfully so when you talk about raising the dead, but there are dead things and dead works in our life and in our families that the Spirit of God has to come. And He has to resurrect certain things and He has to clear certain things out of the path or it's not going to come to pass. And that's a dead work. And God calls, He is the living God. And He has called us a living priesthood after Him. And there are living things that He wants going and flowing out of our fountains. And so He's going to have to come by His supernatural power. And He's coming, and I believe in what, well, I know because He said it. He's coming to, to lift the heavy burdens, but Isaiah said it best, Lord. So let's go back to this verse. Uh, Is this not the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To loose the bonds of wickedness. To, he's talking to his people. Okay? To, not just the sinner. To his people. Yes. To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the, mine says, bands of the yoke. I like the way King James says it. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. And God does not discriminate between who the oppressed are, whether it's his children or whether it's the unbeliever, to let those that are oppressed go free and that you break every enslaving yoke. Isn't that, I mean, that's beautiful. Listen to this. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? This is God's fast. Did God choose the fast that we're in? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And listen, if we go out, of, well, we will. We'll go out of this season and we will cooperate with God in more fasting and prayer. No doubt about it. But it's still in that sense, even if he hasn't picked the time 
Out of those fasts are supposed to come this. Now let's review what God thinks of a chosen fast. Let's look at what his expectations of the fast are. Not what our expectation is in our flesh or in our mind, but what his expectation of a holy fast is supposed to achieve. He says to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. And I, of course, like to do a word study because I feel like it just adds so much more depth and color. So I, it says for the word to loose, it means um, to let go free, to open, to unstop. You ever have a clogged drain? It's perfect in its form, but the function, you can't get to the function of a clogged drain. You can't. It's designed to take water down through and away from that sink. And when it's clogged up, it causes havoc. You cannot get anything through it. It's as if you don't have a sink. It's as if you don't have uh, that, with that function, you have no access to it. And so God's power desires to open up and unstop, open wide and draw out. So to unclog those drains that the enemy, he's clogged them up, just like with uh, Isaac. Remember the enemies came, they stopped up the wells. Prosperity, and please, when I say prosperity, do not think of money. It includes money, but prosperity is not relegated to mere money. It is, it is the kingdom of God. That's what prosperity is, the wholeness of the kingdom of God. And then it says to loose the bands, and this means fetters, and it means pain. So it means to open up, unstop, to draw out fetters of pain. Does God know what he's talking about? Yes. Does God see? Oh yes. He sees very clearly. To loose the bands of wickedness. And the wickedness here means iniquity. Wrongdoing, especially moral wrongdoing. And um, to violate. This kinds of, these are kinds of wickedness. Of course, they go down wherever there's sin. But these are what I would uh, probably like to define as the sins that are hidden in darkness. Uh, the ones that are too vile to speak out into the open that none of us like to talk about. Uh, wrong, moral wrongdoings, the wickedness of the heart. And of course, to violate, well, that can be applied in many different ways, but it's the worst. It's the worst of Satan and his assignment against humanity. It's traumatic. Uh, and God wants to undo that. He wants to uh, loose the bands the fetters of that kind of behavior uh, if it's in us or if we encounter it in others. He doesn't want us to live with those kinds of things. He wants his, his power to come and unclog the drain, unstop the drain. And our expectation should not be to have to live with that or that, you know, it's not going to, it hasn't changed in 20 years, hasn't changed in 30 years, hasn't changed in 15 years. Well, this is the chosen fast. And so as we're spending time on God, God desires that his power would come and loose these bands of wickedness. And he says to undo. I love what this word means. Just look at what this is what the father does when he's at work doing this. Just to undo means to be violently agitated. To be can you imagine the kingdom of darkness is violently agitated by the undoing of the father over whatever it is that are these bands of uh, darkness that you're encountering. It says to uh, undo means to untie yeah, the knots and the mess, to shake off and to drive asunder, to drive it out. Just that always reminds me. 
that kind of language when Jesus drove those devils out of the demoniac of the Gadarenes. Now that is a good example of the power of God coming to loose the bands of wickedness, to let the oppressed go free is next. And oppressed, if ever a man was crushed, if ever his life was reduced to nothing, that demoniac fit the bill. And the word oppressed here says crushed, discouraged, to crack in pieces, to destroy. Oppression means the enemy has got a foothold in somewhere and his, he is working a work where things are destroyed and cracked in pieces. And, uh, you know, there's, there's families, there's, there's, how do I say it, Lord? There's things that you will encounter in families, in relationships, where you don't know why, but you keep banging up against something that really shouldn't be there. Uh, from, the, from the natural standpoint, you can't really explain it in the natural, but it just doesn't flow. It just doesn't work. It just, things that should be easy are made hard. People that should be easy are difficult. And uh, by difficult, you might find as you're watching this today that maybe you're the difficult one. That maybe there's things bound up in you. You don't even know why they make you the way they are. But you sense, if you're honest, down in your inner man, that God wants to work a work in you because you're the difficult one. And uh, maybe the God so longs for you to be free of those uh, characteristics, those unseemly things that are bound up in your nature. Now, he made you, but when he made you pure coming from heaven, and he, he breathed your soul into a, a body and you got born again, there's things that the devil attached to you yeah. because there's a journey, you know, from birth to, well, I guess from heaven to earth really, and then an earth suit. And there's things that are so holy that God has placed in you. But there's somebody else that's watching that journey, that's watching that, that uh, ascension, shall we say, and, and he longs to wrap himself, this is the enemy, wrap, wrap himself around where they, he'll cause hardness He'll cause character traits that were given by God, well, because they're not flushed out by the divine flow of the Holy Spirit. He'll cause uh, breakages, discouragement, oppression, where there should be a flow uh, in relationships and in families. You get stopped up. That, that drain is stopped up. You don't really know why. You know, Smith Wigglesworth went through that. I, I said it wrong from the pulpit. I said two years. It was not a two-year period. It was 10 days that he spent before the Lord. And the two years comes in in a, in a different fashion, but it was not two years he spent before God. He went before God for, for 10 days and God, because he knew his temper was so violent. Now listen, Smith Wigglesworth was a leader of leaders. He, he boomed, he had a voice that thundered. It was, he was known for it, he was bold. But you understand, the enemy was watching his, his life just like Jesus was watching his life. And those traits were wonderful, but somewhere, somewhere inside of those traits, the enemy had a foothold in Smith Wigglesworth. And thank God he had the spiritual aptitude at a certain point in his life to turn aside so that the water of the Holy Spirit could cleanse him from something that made him difficult. Now, difficulty doesn't always come in temper. Difficulty can come in so many ways. We know the obvious ones, the addictions, abuse. We know those ones. They're, they're, they're uglier, they're louder than most, but there are those that are quiet. And God wants a purifying to come into his vessel. And if you'll be honest with God, if you will sit before God, God will take those difficulties out of you. God will make the lion a lamb. 
and God will make the lamb a lion. And, uh, you know, it comes up in my spirit, too. There are those that are in bondages of shyness. Uh, the Lord has had me mention that before. Shyness is fear, but it's enforced by an evil spirit. And God never made you shy. God never made you timid, fawning in fear. That's a spirit of timidity. But God gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And you're going to have to sit with God until by the Spirit of God, He flushes out those things. Because they, those things would love to come and dictate the landscape for your life. And uh, they're not allowed to do that to the believer. If the believer recognizes their dominion by faith and begins to go before the Lord and let the Lord tell you how to take off those fleshly shoes, because that's, that's something of the flesh driven by an evil spirit, but it's something that God desires to cleanse. It is something, it's the one, it's the one that lays low, it lays in the hidden places and yet it agitates the believer or anyone that it abides in, believer or unbeliever alike. But what does God say? That when he undoes those places, he violently agitates those places. And so why do I say that this morning? Well, it's by the Spirit, but I would say this, our expectation has to rise as to what the Spirit of God can cleanse out of us. He wants to cleanse the obvious darkness, that has gripped us, but he also wants to cleanse the deepest part of us where there is an agitation by flesh or by a, a demonic spirit because he wants to cast it out. His, we have so long thought of the enemy and casting out of evil spirits as something that is visual, as something that is to be done for someone else, and it's marvelous in our eyes, and we're after it. And we will see much of that in the days, of he, days ahead. But do not discount that the working of casting out of devils is the believer rising up in dominion and casting out evil things that have come down the generational line that have attached themselves, that cause an agitation in us, that cause a lack of peace in us because there's a washing and a sanctification that comes from revival of spirit. That revival is going to begin in us. Uh, it's beginning in us, but it's going to flow out of our innermost beings. And that's where the revival is going to come. It's because there's a sanctifying and a purging and a cleansing of our temples in this quiet time right now. You don't understand what God is working a work in you. You don't understand the fullness when you sit there in silence and feel nothing. You don't understand that God has opened his heavenly books and is writing in his heavenly books. You don't understand that in silence much is accomplished because you have silenced your mouth. You have silenced your agenda and heaven has taken notice because it, in silence does not come the roar. The roar comes afterwards. The silence has to work a work of the spirit. But because you do not understand the things of the spirit per se, you have questioned what is actually being accomplished in that quiet time. Well, let me say, by the Spirit of God, much is being accomplished. Much is being accomplished. Much, much, much is being accomplished in this time. And let the silence envelop you. Let the silence envelop you. Let the silence envelop you and learn to be silent. Learn to be silent. For your silence is not really my silence. There's much happening on my side. But you have to be silent because you are fleshly. And in my spirit, living in your spirit, comes a rumble and a roar, and you will hear it. But you must be quiet first. You must 
listen to what is being preached. You must listen to the utterance that is coming out of the pulpit. Even if you don't understand it, even if you don't know what's coming, I'll allow you to partake because of simple obedience. Moses didn't know what was coming. Moses did not know the works that he would see worked in Egypt. Egypt was the place of bondage. Moses did not know about the 10 plagues. There's no way that he could have known about the splitting of the Red Sea. There's no way that he could have seen my dominion would have walked him across on dry land in the midst of the sea. Why? Because I did not tell him. I told him to take off his shoes. I told him to turn aside. And in the taking off of those shoes and the turning aside to see my burning bush, he was quiet. I spoke to him and he was quiet and it came out of that place. The assignment was unveiled, the assignment and the glory of my presence. And I walked with Moses. I did not send him in alone. I walked with him. And while he entered that dark place of Egypt to gain freedom, to gain freedom for his people, aren't you walking into Egypt? And I keep telling you that if you will be silent, if you will turn aside to me, I will walk with you into Egypt and I will show forth my mighty works. I will show forth my splendor. I will show forth the miraculous. My snake will eat up the snakes, the false, the occult, the powers of darkness that try to stop you. For when you go in, I'm with you and I allow them to come out from an ambush. They see the snake and they say, we can do what you can do. And my snakes come out. And when they come out, my snake eats up. The lesser, my snake eats up, the lesser devours them. And Moses saw this and I prepared him to take the people out into a mighty work. I prepared him and I was with him and my spirit showed forth the glory. And it will take the glory. It will take the glory. Oh, it will take the glory to unloose those kinds of bondages, to set a city free. It will take the glory of God. It can't be by human hands, although you will cooperate with me. My glory sets people free. My glory undoes the fetters. My glory breaks the bands of wickedness. My glory breaks every yoke that you might go free, says the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, Lord, we thank you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. We're, oh, we're looking forward to it, God. We're anticipating it, God. Yes, let no flesh glory in your presence, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord, great prince, great prince of heaven. Hallelujah. Great king of kings. Great Lord of lords. We cooperate with you. We cooperate with the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Holy Ghost, you're going you're gonna to part the sea. Yes, you are. You're going to, that's, that's the, that's a part of this narrative. You're going to part the sea. You're going to break bondages. You're going to show forth your wonders in the heavens and on earth. You're going to show forth, you're going to destroy the plagues of the enemy. You're going to bring down evil rulers. And Lord, when it looks at its darkest, Lord, you're going to say, speak and go forth. Speak and go forth. Because you've taught us, Lord, that we have to speak and go forth. And when we speak, Lord, and our eyes are on you, Lord, what looks impossible, what looks to swallow us up, what looks violent in its agitation, Lord, you will utterly drown in your sea. You'll walk us through it and we will get on the other side of it. And the enemy will think, foolishly think that they can capture 
us in bondage, in their bondage and under their dominion. And Lord, at the apex of that moment, we will turn and watch them drowned in those waters, Lord God. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. And we will turn into Miriam. A song will fill our mouth, Lord God. We will sing about the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. And it will be glorious, Lord. And we will watch, Lord, the deliverance of our God. And you will be so with us, Lord, as it was in the beginning. So it will be in this end days as it was in the beginning with the, with the plagues and the signs and wonders of God coming to do wondrous works in the land. So will those works of God be worked again. And we will have dominion. We will have dominion from sea to shining sea, Lord, as your word goes forth. For you are with us. You are the fire by, by night and you are that, that pillar, that cloud, Lord God. And we are so aware of it, Lord. But we are not aware of it enough, Lord. We are not aware of it enough yet, Lord. So work a work in us, Lord, that all we would see is the fire and all we would see is the pillar and all we would see is the Shekinah glory of God. We would see God in his holy tabernacle. We would see the holy of holies. We would see, Lord, your great manifested presence. And we would, we would taste of that holiness, Lord God. And we would be a people, Lord. Oh, gloriously purified by the fire of God. Sin would be so far set from us, Lord God. We would not be entangled with it. For you showed the way. You showed it could be done, Lord. You showed, Lord, that we could walk in the high places, that we could be so empowered by the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would not have to yield to sin. You said all through the book of Romans, Lord, that we are not enslaved to sin, but we are filled with you, God. We are overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Hallelujah. So we thank you, righteous heaven. We thank you, righteous heaven for pouring into us today, pouring out of this pulpit today, Lord. I know those were your words today, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you for it, Lord. Continue to mark us in this time, Lord. We yearn for you. Much is to be broken up, open. Much is to be broken up. The ground is to be broken up. And the prosperity of God will flow. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We worship you, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, amen and amen. Pastor and I love you. We can't sit in your living room all the time. Um, that's a rare occurrence, actually, but we love you. We're called together at such a time as this. We thank God for the fellowship ahead. We thank God for the plans of God. that We don't know anything about yet. They're going to come to pass. Yes. We thank God that you'll go with us all around the earth. You will. This congregation... You will. God will speak to you. You will pack your suitcases and you will visit far lands with us. And when you get there, God will put you to work. When you get there, the anointing will flow and you will be mightily used to God. Do you hear me, congregation? You will be mightily used of God. You will be mightily used of God. You will be used here of God. You will raise the dead. You will cast out devils. You will heal the sick. You will be consumed with God. You will run alongside the fivefold office, not lesser in any way. You will be filled up with the power of God. You will prophesy. You will have the gifts of the Spirit flowing through you. We will make a Holy Ghost team 
It'll be glorious. And God's building teams like that all over the earth. This is our team. And so we root for our team. We love you. And if, it, if the enemy is speaking to you in any way today to tell you that you're not loved by us or you're not seen by us, you are loved and you are seen. We do pray for you. We don't say that and not pray for you. We pray for you. We, we give you the word of God. We wait on God. We're not perfect in it, but we're endeavoring to be perfect in it so that when we get in the pulpit, we have something of heaven to give to you where your life can be sweet, where your life can be Psalm 23. You're led by still waters. You lie down in the grass. Your cup flows over. When enemies come around you, as they often do in this life, you're fed to overflowing. You've got the bread and the wine, and you will say that I dwelt in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever, and we are together with you. We do not make a distinction of ourselves from you. We are with you. We are one with you. We're family. We're a spiritual family, and we war on our knees for you. We might not know everything that you go through, and we don't. We don't know all the idiosyncrasies of, of things at times. Uh, but of the Spirit, we endeavor to know you. And as much as God grants us in the natural, we enjoy getting to know you and to love you. So we have you under that canopy of prayer. And uh, we consider this the most valuable part of our life. Everything that we've been geared for and trained for is for what we will see ahead. And so we're so thankful. We're thankful for you. We're thankful. Those words can sound so practiced because they're said so often. But we're thankful for you. We're thankful when you serve. We're thankful when you pray. We're thankful when you love us back or you forgive us when we stumble or we say things a way that rubs you the wrong way. We're thankful that the grace of God is on you to keep you with us. We're grateful for all your magnificent giving. We're thankful. We're thankful that you have eyes to see and ears to hear. That of all those people that don't really want the Lord or don't want this brand of him, this deeper dimension of him, that you did and that you're here. And so thank you for loving us in all of our imperfections. And we love you the same. But we want the chosen fast to get those imperfections out of us, you know? If we're easily hurt or easily offended or easily fearful or easily whatever you put in that blank, we want God oh, to make us something so different that others looking at our life will say, oh, you know that person? I knew that person one way and now they're completely a different way. And many, many have had that testimony. Many have had been transformed by God. When Kenneth Hagin got healed, you know, uh, he went down, put his, put his clothes on and went down to the breakfast table and his grandfather asked, well, has Lazarus been raised up from the dead? And he said, yes, grandfather, he has. And uh, his grandfather got to see a sickly boy that had no life to a young man sitting at the table eating with them, uh, fully, re fully restored. And we, we want to not take our eyes off things that are not physical, the physical things get the attention, but there's emotional things. There's social and spiritual and things in our hearts that we need God to help us to get it out. And so, Lord, we thank you. I end this today, Lord, by thanking you for this congregation. Thank you, Lord, that their prayers have gone up like a holy hosanna. 
We're, as the pastors of this church, my husband as, as the senior pastor, will never forget the way you said that to him, that their prayers are like laying the palm branches in the path, Lord. They're so precious to you, Jesus, that they have put, laid those prayers on the path that this path would go forward. That yes, my husband would be strengthened, that the mantle would come. And they wanted to show you that they cooperated and that they, they knew it was a holy time. And in their own way, in their own prayers, they laid a holy hosanna unto you. And we do that today, Lord. We worship you. We thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen.